Hi, Matt here. Are you looking for another great podcast? Our friends at Harvard Business Review have a podcast you might like, HBR IdeaCast. Every Tuesday, they bring you the world's best business and leadership experts to help you manage up, manage a business, and manage yourself. I had a fantastic time being a guest on IdeaCast. We had fun discussing specific skills for spontaneous speaking, like making small talk and giving feedback, and how to manage speaking anxiety. I always learn so much from IdeaCast, and I know you will too. Listen to HBR IdeaCast for free wherever you get your podcasts. It's all you need to lead. Innovation serves as a driving force for many individuals and companies. Buying into this approach is one thing, but actually implementing it is quite another. Hello, I'm Matt Abrahams, and I teach strategic communication at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Welcome to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to chat with GSB lecturer and former CEO of General Electric, Jeff Immelt. Jeff teaches the popular Systems Leadership for the Digital Industrial Transformation course, and he recently wrote the book, Hot Seat, What I Learned Leading a Great American Company. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Hey, Matt. It's great to be with you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Excellent. So am I. So let's get started. You were the CEO of GE for 16 years, 16 very challenging years. You managed GE through 9-11 the Enron scandal, the financial crisis of 2008 and 9, as well as the Fukushima nuclear disaster. What lessons did you learn about how to handle crises? And what advice do you have about communicating difficult or bad news on a personal or company level? This was a very volatile era, for sure. Mm-hmm. And there's each crisis, you know, man, is different. Sure. But there, there are things that are common across each one of them. You know, I I think good leaders absorb fear. So you find ways to take a lot of bad news, uh, reflect on some of it with your team, but absorb a lot of it. And and I think keeping your cool is a key aspect. Uh, You learn to manage two truths at the same time, which is things can always get worse, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to give up on uh, the future and what that can hold. You learn how to make decisions in a crowded room. So you don't have the luxury of saying, let me study that for another week. You have to make tough calls and do them rapidly. And then on communication, I think you you really learned that in a crisis, time resets and you have to communicate more frequently than maybe you're used to, even with sometimes the communications is I don't know, right? That's Mm -hmm. part of communication as well. And so I think just the frequency of communication is important because time resets. And then the last thing I'd say is, really, there's no such thing as perfection in a crisis. This is a pass-fail test, and all you really want to do is make progress. Absolutely. I like that notion of of time resetting and, and not being afraid to say, I don't know. And just making sure that you're communicating frequently can help. Uh, Thank you for that. Now, you followed Jack Welch at GE. And in your book, you mentioned that one lesson you learned from him was, quote, good leaders speak in one voice to the entire company and in subtly different voices in an auditorium and conference room or one-on-one, unquote. Why do you feel this lesson is so important? And how do you pick specific words or vocabulary based on the audience you're speaking to? You know, the thing that Jack Walsh did better than anybody I've seen 
before or after is just his ability to run an organization at scale. Mm -hmm. So when he was in front of or communicating to the entire company, it would be uh, words that were simple, uh, themes that were consistent, aspirational, but tough-minded. Mm. Uh, when he, he was running a meeting, it would be more specific. It would be more pointed. It would be the ranges of uh, highs and lows. Uh, the voice, uh, which was to the entire community, was challenging but but calm. Uh, in a meeting, it could be excitable. And when uh, it was down to the individual, it was extremely specific in terms of performance and expectations. I, I tell the story in the book, Matt, that I, I was having a, a very difficult personnel review with him uh, mm -hmm. when I was running the healthcare business. And he was quite challenging and very difficult. And it was a room of maybe six people and, and a very pointed that we went next door and he met with the union leadership team. And it was a different person, right? In the span of like 10 feet, he was, <laughs> he was more conceptual. Uh, he had a twinkle in his eye. Uh, uh, he was still tough-minded, but, but the entire vocabulary changed to, to the things that were important to his audience. So I, I, think, I think one of the things that I learned from him that I try to, to drill in people today is that you're not the audience for your own words. Sometimes mm -hmm. people are very selfish about their communication. And that what you really want to do is kind of make it work for the person you're communicating with. And that's what a good communicator does. And he was a really great communicator. So that last point is one that we've heard many times on this podcast, that you have to adjust and adapt your messaging for your audience. You're, you're really in service of their needs. What you're adding to it that I think is really valuable is, is it comes down to word choice. It's vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It's lexicon. You have to think not just about what you're trying to say, but the specific words that can have impact for the audience you're talking to. And I think your point, Matt, on words is so important. You know, I, I uh, was looking at some of the papers of my students uh, last week and, and just their ability to communicate in very simple phrases, I still think is something that even sophisticated students still need to learn. Yeah, so simplicity and concision, I think, are two guiding principles for both writing and speaking, for sure. I agree, yeah. Turning to innovation, how did what you call what-if thinking help you in GE promote transformation? Yeah, so I think, you know, what we would, particularly when you're in a big company, a legacy company, you, you want people to think about uh, not just the way the world is today, but the way it could be. So when we would have technical reviews, uh, we would actually encourage people to describe what a future state could be. You know, so for instance, uh, launching an aircraft that could fly nonstop from Sydney to New York City. Wow. So, so you can sit and say, okay, uh, it has to have a thrust of uh, thousands of pounds and fuel efficiency of X and all that stuff. And you could put it on a spec sheet and everybody would sit and, and the engineers would get it, but everybody would, would kind of just nod their head. Mm -hmm. But if you can describe it in terms of I want to develop a CT scanner that can freeze the beating heart. I want to be able to image uh, amyloid plaque. I want to be able to have a wind turbine that has zero unplanned downtime. I want to fly a plane from Sydney to New York City uh, nonstop, right? Mm -hmm. 
those are the things that what I would call what if thinking that basically people could describe the benefit to society, to customers, to their peers, then we can figure out the rest. And, and I, I just think storytelling, mm-hmm. not, not like Aesop's fables or something mm-hmm. like right. that, storytelling that has an outcome is very aspirational and, and engineers can leave a meeting and say, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. I, it's gonna have 115,000 pounds of thrust. That's pretty awesome. But what it's really gonna do, it's gonna deliver people nonstop around, you know, halfway around the world. So, so I think that's key, particularly in driving change at scale. So painting that picture, telling that story to help motivate people, but also instill in their minds what you're trying to achieve rather than just listing bullet points and specific specifications is what makes the difference. Exactly. And again, I think it's a, it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about before Matt, which is, you know, you're in a room of uh, 120 engineers in an aviation business, you know, they know how to read spec sheets, right? They know that, but what gets them motivated is the purpose of what you're trying to get done. And, and that's, I, I would always try to encourage people to think about the what if, be able to articulate it, because that's what really motivates people. Well said. And, and really thinking about that relevance and, and the, the motivational aspect of the story sounds critical. Now, in addition to what if thinking, you also support innovation by focusing on imagination breakthrough. What are these and how can we bring them about? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's again, trying to find specific cases that prove what can be done. And I think if you can plant seeds, you know, in, in let's say a dozen or 15 or 20 imagination breakthroughs, they have a multiplication effect because it says to people, look, if they did it over there, we can do it here as well. And so what, it, what we try to do is just put a spotlight on things just to say, hey, hey look, we're going to do uh, a, a 10 megawatt wind turbine. We're going we're gonna to put a spotlight on it, not because it's necessarily going to be the biggest or not because it's necessarily the most important, but we want everybody to see what's possible in the organization that they can rally behind. And so what you, what you find is that by, by putting a spotlight on specifics, the general takes care of itself, right? So if you're if you want to make a company that's faster and more innovative and focused on the markets, and you, you're leading at scale, so you've got hundreds of thousands of employees, mm-hmm. you can't just go say, you know, okay, everybody go try harder. You basically <laughs> say, look at these ten things we did. Now you can do those in in your business, in your operation, at, at, at your scale, and so the you know kind of the exception becomes the rule if you articulate it well and give people a chance to get the work done. Great. So it's it's giving them something specific to model or pattern after and motivates them to, to use similar principles or to achieve similar results, even if it's in a very different workspace or, or product line. And again, in, 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 in a small company, a startup, it's easy because it's what you do. It's, it's who you are. It's what you do. But if you're GE or GM or, or uh, Cisco or bigger companies, you need to be able to point to things that everybody can rally behind and say, hey, I can do this too. Here's how they did it. Here's what they learned. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. I can do it too. 
and by creating that use case, you can you can really get people to to focus and, and innovate. So very very important lesson there. Yeah. I have another question uh, that I've always been curious about. In my experience, companies often have brilliant, talented people who can really help with innovation and moving ideas forward, yet they struggle to communicate their ideas and get them heard. What advice do you have to help those folks maximize their impact and get their voices listened to? Yeah, the first one is for the boss. I, I, I can't tell you how many times after a meeting I would go to some people and say, talk less. And I would go to other people and say, talk more. Mm-hmm. And that was maybe the most frequent <laughs> feedback I gave over a 35-year uh, career. I, I think some of it is just confidence mm-hmm. that people think they have to be perfect in order to open their mouth. And I think it's giving, you know, in, in your own, uh, you know, self-confidence of, of practicing the art of listening to your own voice, mm-hmm. hearing the vocabulary that you like to use, watching the room to see uh, what impact you have on you're having on others, and and I just encourage people that it's not it's not selfish and don't be shy. Just learn to listen to your own voice and and develop your own confidence. And then what I would say, Matt, look in meetings. You know, there's four types of people. There's people that are always on point. Mm-hmm. There's people that are never on point. There's people that know the answer but won't raise their voice. And there's people that are, no matter how much you try to engage them, they're going to sit back and say, I told you so. Right. <laughs> and, you know, your job as a manager is to find category three. The right. people that know the answer and and just won't raise their voice and, and go around room and point on people and say, what do you think? And the job for for your students or for people that are listening to the podcast right. is to is to just give it a try. Just practice. Right. Practice, practice, practice. It doesn't have to be perfect. And and as you as you try more, uh, you get better. And I saw people go from being just sitting in the back of the room, never opening their mouth, to being really confident. And and uh, it was just about practice. So many things there I want to unpack. First, I am so impressed that you would just go up to people and say, hey, I need you to talk less. I think that is oh, uh, very, very important for, for leaders to to be able to do that bluntly but politely. Yeah. The, the notion uh, that you brought up of it doesn't have to be perfect echoes something we've talked a lot about on this podcast when we've talked to people who come from a improv mindset. You know, and there's a wonderful saying in improv, good enough is great. And just giving yourself permission to just get it out is really a nice first step for those who are reticent. And this notion of practice is critical. You know, record yourself, try saying things out. You know, I I like to joke that in my mind, I'm amazingly eloquent, but when I open up my mouth, I'm not as lucky. And it takes that practice to get you better at that. So lots of- I would say, I would say Matt, beyond that, like I, I was, you know, like at the end of every day, I would go to bed a failure saying, God, I wish I had said this differently. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had, you know, had a different turn of the phrase, or I just did a crappy job at that mm-hmm. presentation. And, you know, I was always learning. I, mm-hmm. I, I never gave up trying to be a better communicator. My daughter is 34 now, but she would come with me sometimes and she'd say, you know, dad, 
you're a pretty good public speaker. How, how did that happen? I said, because this is the 50,000 public speech I've given. You know? Right. It's stuck a lot of times. But when you've done, you know, 50,000 of these things, you get better at them. That's right. So, so, so getting, getting the, the practice in really does help, but I really, that, that last point is so important in, in, in all of the strategic communication classes taught at the business school at Stanford, we really reinforce this notion of reflection. So yeah. even though it might've made you feel bad, Jeff, the, the fact that you were thinking about how could I have said that better? What could I have done differently? Ultimately, I'm sure helped make you better. And so that yeah. reflection is critical. I, I say sometimes um, that leadership is a journey into yourself. It's mm -hmm. self-renewal, self-reflection, self-confidence. It's it's going to bed, you know, kind of scratching your head and saying, man, I'm, I'm not as good and waking up the next morning and trying it again. And I think that's uh, that's what matters. That's so motivational. Uh, and, and I think all of us could benefit, not just in our business life, but in our personal life, taking that same approach. So before we end, I'd like to ask you the same three questions I ask everyone who joins me. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Question number one. If you were to capture the best communication advice you ever received as a five to seven word presentation slide title, what would it be? Speak simply. I love it. And that was such a simple answer. You, mo you modeled it. Uh, one of my mentors, one of my mentors um, was a guy named John Opie. He was a vice chairman, but he was a, just a tough minded operating guy. Yeah. And I was kind of in the middle of my career and I was giving a presentation in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. It was during a difficult time. And, and he grabbed me as I'm walking out and, and he said to me, you know, Jeff, you could have done all that in one-tenth the amount of words and charts. Um, you know, just just remember that. Be, be simple, be specific, be to the point. It's what everybody appreciates. Yes, and people who've listened to me speak before know that I love this quote my mother has often told me personally in the same way you got your advice. Tell the time, don't build the clock. Exactly, and exactly. All right, let's move to number. And it goes back. I'm sorry, you know, Matt. It goes back to what you said earlier, which is, you're not the customer of your own words. Yes. You're you're really trying to convince others to take action in some way, and you just so many times people forget that. Absolutely, they do. That's right. Uh, it's not about you; it's about them. Yeah. Number two, who is a communicator that you admire, and why? I'm going to pick a funny one, maybe. Uh, okay. I'm going to pick uh, Bill Belichick, who is the coach uh -huh. of the Patriots. Yeah. Because he always gets it his way, right? In, <laughs> in good days and bad, he's disciplined. He always gets it his way. And reporters really love him. You know, in other words, they hate him, but they love him. You know, they, they scratch their head, and reporters feel like if they make it through a Bill Belichick interview, it's something they can tell their children about. <laughs> you know, so, so he's he's disciplined, but you know, he always gets it his way. Matt. And and there's something to be said about that. Sure, sure. Uh is there something he does to help him get his way that you you've noticed? I've I haven't I, I've seen him speak. I haven't really observed uh, his behavior and sparks, analyzed it. Uh sparks words and stays on message. Right? Okay. And, and they say uh 
did your quarterback have a bad game today? And he said, well, we're just focused on next week. That's all that matters. I see. Excellent. So the, defense, the defense stunk today and he'll say, well, we're just focused on next week. Right. That's all that matters. Well, and that gets back to something you spoke about earlier. Have, have clear themes, uh, speak them simply and repeat them a lot. Question three, what are the first three ingredients that go into a successful communication recipe? Um, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So, so really thinking through the words you want to use, mm -hmm. uh, storytelling. Yes. So, so really being able to create a narrative that enlists your listeners imagination. And again, I come back to customer satisfaction, mm -hmm. which is, it's not about you. It's about the people that you're trying to motivate. So vocabulary, storytelling, customer satisfaction. That's that's the whole the whole arc right there. You have a, a solid story. You use the right words that resonate and motivate. And that's what gets you to that satisfaction uh, from the eyes of the customer. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, your insights on managing crises and fostering innovation and how to make our communication more effective are incredibly helpful and very actionable and straightforward. Best of Thanks. luck to you on the book Hot Seat. I read it. It was very enjoyable. I took away lots of notes and ideas. And best of luck with your class this quarter. Great, Matt. Thanks. It's a joy to work with the students at Stanford. I have to say that. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast, a production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. To learn more, go to gsb.stanford.edu. Please download other episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, Matt here. Seasoned leaders know that today's ever-changing landscape demands constant evolution. Stanford Executive Education offers you just that, a chance to refine your approach and stay ahead of the curve. Join us this summer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business for one of our on-campus C-suite programs to enrich your perspective, amplify your effectiveness, and shape the future with conviction. Go to grow.stanford.edu slash C-suite and apply today.